Okay, welcome to Thin Line Believers. This is Adam sitting on my front porch again. And this week I have with me Dean. Dean, I'll let you introduce yourself here in just a second. But I um, wanted to bring you on, like I told you here just a second ago, we've had a lot of people that really can relate to the law enforcement and veteran community, but we haven't really had somebody that that uh, resonates with the uh, firefighter paramedics that... Uh, that listen to our podcast here so uh welcome if you want to introduce yourself take it away man well thanks for the invitation yeah go ahead and clip back up there and we'll get going again all right <laughs> i appreciate the invite yeah. um my name is dean aethwaite and uh i had a short insignificant service in the british forces um, and then I was a volunteer firefighter in Corvallis. And now I get to serve our first responder community by being a first responder chaplain. So how long were you volunteer firefighter then? So I was from 2001 to about 2010. I had a break in between mm-hmm. when I had an injury. Okay. Um, so I came back for a second stint. And then how long in the in the uh, British military? Almost five years. Okay. Yeah, I suffered a career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so that put my career, uh, well, that just took everything away. Okay. Uh, as a, it wasn't the injury that took it away. Mm-hmm. I really believe God closed the door. Mm-hmm. That wasn't an accident. Um, so myself, I've been a believer since I was eight. Uh, Billy Graham event in yeah. 1985. Oh, nice. And and live via satellite in the northeast of England. And, and I've been in relationship with my Heavenly Father right from that beginning. And so in some ways, I still have that eight-year-old um, mentality or heart uh, understanding of my father. So did you did you light a candle or touch the TV or no? It was a big sports pavilion in the uh-huh. northeast and uh-huh. a couple of thousand people. Okay. Big, a big screen, and and Billy Graham was in Sheffield, uh, just slightly south, a couple of hours south from my hometown. But the event was being, you know, distributed all over the UK. So I went with my dad. Mm-hmm. He just became a believer himself and follower of Christ, and and I went with him to have that time with him because I went everywhere he went, and did everything he did, and and that was that was an event he was going to, and I heard it, heard my calling, and told my dad that I wanted that, but I was too afraid to go down to the front, and he went with me, and <laughs> and so so knowing who my father is, when I served. I I knew I was supposed to be a soldier. I knew it. Uh, at the time, I was uh, I'm a musician. I'm a drummer, and I was contemplating. I was 18. I was contemplating signing for a Christian music label and becoming a session drummer and you know touring the world doing that. But then I had this overwhelming desire to be a soldier and, and to fight. And my dad was, um, you know. The generations of my family, you know, it's all the way through. So, um, so I thought the desire was mine, and 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 I was fighting it. I was resisting it because mm-hmm. it can't be a it can't be a God thing, right? 
That was my that was my thought at the time. How can God want me to be a soldier and to fight when I can be this Christian drummer in this music network of doing good things and nobody raises a voice, you know what I mean? And so I was I was resisting it. And this beautiful lady who was a mentor of my mom and dad when they became followers of Christ, her and her husband, George and Moira Elms. Moira would come over to our house for home church and 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 would always check in with me right from the beginning as a, as a kid all the way through my teenage years and she'd always start with the question of what's God said to you lately oh what are you talking to God about now <laughs> and as I would always start so this was one of those days and she'd came over and I said and she asked me you know, what are you talking to God about what's God said to you what's he doing with you and I said Moira I keep keep having this desire to, to join the military and it doesn't make sense like I need to I need to get rid of that so I'm asking God just to take those thoughts away and, and but they won't go away and she said sometimes the Lord puts something on your heart and gives you a desire to do something so intensely it's so you have the capacity to go out and achieve it mm-hmm. have you tested it I have no idea what you mean said, well, if you go out and lay the fleece. And she explained laying the fleece. Never heard of that before. Well, for those who haven't, what are you talking about here? (laughs) You're more of a preacher than I am. (laughs) More of a preacher. Oh, I love that story. So, so, and and my mind's pretty, my memory's pretty terrible about certain things now with so many concussions all the years. Yeah. So I'll, I'll never get the scripture right and be able to pinpoint but I know about uh, the sheepskin out of the tent, laying the fleece. Judges. And judges. And uh, and just being able to test whether that's the Lord's movement. Yeah. And um, I, or whether that's not. I think it was... Is it 17? Judges. No, I'm in Joshua. That's why this is wrong. <laughs> but yeah, love that story. Mm-hmm. Because... It shows that uh, <laughs> it shows our tendency, especially my tendency, when I hear what I think is God talking to me, and like you're saying, now oh, that couldn't be, like, that couldn't be God. I mean, <laughs> I love it because I mean, here we have a guy who, uh, and I'm still trying to find it, but he didn't, he didn't believe it either. He says, "There's no way, there's no way God is calling me to lead these people into war." And uh, so, yeah, he, he does. He lays the fleece out and says, okay, well, if this is actually what you want me to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the morning when there's dew on the ground, make, make this fleece dry. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what God does. Mm-hmm. And so he says, okay, that's all well and good. But just in case, <laughs> just in case this is just a, a weird phenomena here. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, can you do it again? Just reverse it. You know, mm-hmm. make the fleece wet, but make sure, make sure the ground is dry for me. So it's Gideon, right? Gideon. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what God does. And and I love how God knows God knows we're made from dust, man. So as as stubborn as we may be, He's still going to put His His desires on our heart. And when we say, oh, I don't know. He's he's gonna a lot of times he'll play along, mm-hmm. and so 
Sounds so, like that was the case with you, huh? It was absolutely the case. It was, uh, it, it was inspiring um, to know that we had a God where it was okay to ask those questions and, and to test. Uh, not to test him, but to test his calling on us and on our lives, and and to to have a confirmation or affirmation, reassurance, um, have a peace of mind, mm-hmm. and 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 so so I took that away, um, and later the next week, like six of my friends like. All of a sudden, graduating high school, you know, like we were 18, so you graduate high school at 16 in the UK. Okay. And then you go to college. Mm-hmm. So we were in college, and I was in trade school. I love engines. Uh, in England, it's a petrol head, <laughs> not a gear head. <laughs> so, <laughs> or gear head. Okay. Yeah, and nice. uh, <laughs> American accent right there for you. <laughs> and yeah. So, um, and so. So we were in college, and then we all decided we're all going to become soldiers together. All going to do it together. Typical band of mm-hmm. misfits. And and I went into the careers office and sat down with the computer, ready to do that first test. And and I said, okay, Lord, here it is. This is th- this is this is how I'm going to know. I've never scored a hundred percent in a test in all my life. I'm really not academically gifted. Like I am as dumb as I look, you know, and <laughs> and and I'm just I am not there, but you can. If I score a hundred percent in this test, then I know I'm supposed to be a soldier, and I'm all in. So we all went through the process. The staff sergeant came out and called everybody in one at a time, and then it was my turn. And he came in and said, "Okay, son, what do you want to do?" You know, I just want to be a soldier. Well, yeah, but like, where do you want to start? Well, I don't know, just a soldier. <laughs> well, how about, you know, another course of action, like, you know, Sandhurst or any, uh, Sandhurst? Yeah. I said, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, what is Sandhurst? It's a military academy, you know. You go in as an officer. I was like, I'll never do that. (laughs) If you don't work through the ranks, like I'm not doing that. Yeah. I said, besides, you know, I just, I just want to start in, uh, you know, from the ground up. He said, no, you don't, you don't understand. You, you don't score 100% on a test like this, and start there. (laughs) And I said, I scored 100%. He said, yep. So I knew there, and then the Lord Mm -hmm. had called me to be a soldier, called me to serve. So I. I signed up. I became a grunt, yeah, and worked through, you know, to go from, you know, a big a ranker, and and got started. Um, and none of my friends followed me. It was just me. Oh. And so, yeah. so I went off and and I did it, and and I thought it was the best job in the world, and I got hurt, and 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 when I got hurt, it was. It, it was stopping me from taking over God's plan, I believe. Because I knew where I would have went. Mm-hmm. My relationship with the Lord was never stronger, was never closer. You know, I didn't have other believers to work, work this out with and walk this out with and, and to even have a relationship with. 
you know. Um, there were some guys sometimes who would call themselves a believer, but their lives weren't showing it. Yeah. And and I was very cautious about who I was going to allow to be that close to me. Um, so it's just God and me, and 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 the, and then getting hurt, and then going through rehab, and uh, I had to go to RAF Headley Court in the military hospital, and and go through rehab, and and then that realization of yeah, you're never going to get better. So you have two choices, you know, you can drive a desk for the rest of your career, or you can leave. It's like well, I didn't sign up to drive a desk. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine that being God's plan for me. Yeah. And so, so I said, okay, Lord, I guess I'm coming out. So, if I if I think this is as good as it gets, there must be something amazing on the other end, because I know that's your promise. Mm-hmm. And so I want to figure that out. I'd like to have something to understand. And so we had block leave. Everybody was kicked out of camp. Everybody. Like cockroaches, they're all gone, you know. (laughs) And I said, okay, Lord, it's you and me. I'm locking myself in my room. I'm going to have a weekend where I'm just going to fast and pray. I'm just going to be with you. And so I did. Um, Saturday came around. Rugby was on TV, and I believe God loves rugby. So he and I (laughs) were watching rugby together. Yeah. And and my room was on the top floor of, of the dorm building on a hillside overlooking the parade square and all the memorials and statues and 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 surrounded by evergreens and it was just this bright blue sky I mean brightest of blue skies and the most amazingly white cotton wool clouds that didn't even seem to have any shadow to them they were just perfect white mm-hmm. and they were flying overhead over this line of evergreens and and they were changing shape as they were moving so fast and I was just marveling my window was wide open and I'm just absorbing God's creation and then and I talked I talked to God like I talked to you it's and Lord is that really you are you just are you doing this just so I can marvel at your majesty because it's like you're shaping them to say look how about this? What about this? What does this look like? And and I was yeah. just enthralled. I was amazed and just so in the moment with him. And and I, and I just said, Lord, you know, if you're really doing this just for my pleasure, and if you're really here with me right now, so I know that where we're going next is this most this adventure that you have planned and designated for. You know, even before I became a soldier, but even before I served, that you knew this was the plan. Rain on the parade square. Nowhere else. <laughs> Don't even get the grass wet. It's England. It yeah. rains all the time. Uh-huh. I don't want a sun shower. But I need to know it's you if you only get the parade square wet. And I turned back around and I went back to watching rugby. And, and five minutes later, I heard a... <laughs> and I turned around and looked out, stuck my head out the window, and, and it's raining on the bread square, not on the grass. Didn't get the grass wet for five minutes, mm. and, I, and I just, and I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop singing his praises. I knew 
there and then that my father was just doing that just because I was his son. Mm-hmm. And it's because he could. And he wanted to give that to me. So I knew I have an adventure that's going to come that's going to blow this away. And I'm okay now saying goodbye to this career and, and moving on. Um, I ended up, when I came out of service and uh, I returned back home and lived with my parents for two months before I came over here to the States. Um, I, 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 one night I was scheduled to meet friends, church friends, you know, grown up youth group friends who are now still in the same town, still in the same church, working and in relationships and married. And, but we were due to meet at a pub mm-hmm. to discuss Sunday evening service. You know, cause that's what we do over there. And and we, I think we were supposed to meet at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then nobody's turned up at 8 o'clock. Mm. And 8.30, like 8.45, people started rolling in. Mm. And and I, I lost it. I just lost... I wasn't angry with them. I wasn't shouting at anybody. But I just lost my place of... of of understanding that they didn't understand why to me this was wholly unacceptable yeah you say you're gonna be here at eight o'clock and and not to even apologize that you're late it's like this was just a given mm-hmm. and then it was just a, that sudden realization that I don't belong here but yet I don't belong there anymore either I'm in no man's land and and I just I left I just drove home went into my parents' house and sat in the living room and, and I just broke. I, mean, I just broke. And I didn't understand why. Like I remember that feeling, the feeling that I had at that time, I, I, I could only relate it to when my granddad died, when I was 10. Yeah. And it, and it was so painful and, and I didn't get it. And my dad, you know, came over and knelt beside me and and he got it. He served. He left after 11 years to save his wife and his marriage and his sons from going to boarding school. And he gave up a career to protect his first ministry, even though he wasn't a believer. He cared that much. And, and, and I explained to him, I don't get it. I don't understand what I'm feeling. And he said, it's, it's a loss. It's grief. You, you, you lost not only your home and your career, but you lost your brothers and your family that were there and, and the future and the dreams that you had hoped for. And, and you have to go through this. You have to grieve it out. And, and I did. I grieved it out and got rid of it. I processed it got in, and moved, moved it on. And, and, and I thought no more of it. I didn't have a significant service. I didn't have anything stand out. Um, but it is that feeling of belonging that all of a sudden I came to a place that I no longer belong, but I can't ever go back again. Um, and now I found as a chaplain for a lot of our guys who not only have their career and injuries maybe in first response in emergency services but for some of our guys who are now coming to us and becoming sheriff's deputies 
and law enforcement officers and firefighters and medics who came from service. I'm able to share this testimony mm -hmm. of, of how are you doing now you've came out, you know, in that transition to get to where you are today. And do we have anything to work through? Because when I became a chaplain in 2015, when I began my training, going through the courses that I was going through, I identified post-traumatic stress in myself and I never knew I had it. After 15 years of being out, I discovered I had, I had post-traumatic stress and went to get help so I could be ready to help when I was online as a chaplain. And I get to talk to our guys now about talking to you know, a female counsellor who specialised in trauma therapy. She did EMDR and, and, and how it was awkward and it was uncomfortable and you have to learn how to talk about these things and, and you're so guarded and protected about stuff that it takes a long time sometimes to be able to begin to talk. But, and then crying in front of a stranger really, you know, this counsellor and, and it was an ugly cry. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> And, and how awkward that felt, and but how good it felt on the other end, yeah. having done that. And I get to share that now with our guys, you know, our people. Of, of it's okay to be there, you know. And, and as a chaplain, I, I'm honoured to be able to walk that through with you, you know, if you need that, if they choose that, and if they don't choose that, then but I'm still going to be here to serve you and love you regardless and be there for you. And when you're ready, you just know my story now, that's all. Mm -hmm. And maybe it inspires somebody down the line to reach out for help when they need just a little bit of help. Good, good. What, did you, what brought you to the States? An American girl. And I jokingly tell everybody, first responders, not everybody. Yeah. Only cops and firefighters get it, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, the blonde hair, big brown eyes, and beautiful straight teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really true in, in England. We do have people with straight teeth. <laughs> do you? Cause... I do. I didn't have braces. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well. Yeah. And so, but she was... That was God's appointment too, because that was that, that time I was hurt mm -hmm. and, and I was going in rehab. I'd go in Monday through Friday yeah. and then come home, come back to my garrison on weekends. And my, my, my unit had a tour in Australia and they were gone for six weeks. So I came home to nobody and it was an opportunity to go and see my best mate, Simon, who was in Portsmouth in Southern England. And mm -hmm. I, felt, I felt bad for him. He's a poor student, and so I had to go and take him some food and some beer. <laughs> and, so, and, um, and I went in and, and hung out and, and met this beautiful American girl from Albany, Oregon. And, and, and she just blew me away. And she blew me away, not only for her natural beauty, um, but she just, like, she just had the Holy Spirit so evident in her in her being, in her eyes, in her smile, mm -hmm. you know, she was just captivating and and so far out of my league that I thought she would be this friend 
and 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 she might be a part of a dream the Lord had gave me three years beforehand, um, three years before I met Mindy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I had a dream that I was in America, in the in the States, and on an athletic field, on a sports field, with a group of of high school boys. Yeah. And it was what we call football in in the rest oh of the world, gosh. not just America. The rest of the world is football. Okay. Uh, America is the only odd one out. Uh-huh, <laughs> so. uh-huh. I watched football yesterday. American football. Yeah, yeah. pointy ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and so it was it was on on this field. And then I met Mindy, and I thought, okay, Lord, maybe she's a piece of that puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like she's way too good. You know, like she'll never even look at me twice. You know. Yeah. When I met Mindy, I was at my worst physically. Like I was hurt. I was badly hurt. Yeah. I had. I had lost everything. I'd lost all my muscle. I'd lost all my strength. Um, I was sick. I, I was 150 pounds, uh, 26 inch waist, and and a whole lot of nothing. Mm. Um, and so, and I was supposed to be disabled for the rest of my life at that point, um, when I'd met her. Um, and so, so I thought nothing of it other than, okay, uh, maybe she's that, somewhere along the line, she's that connection, like how the Lord does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bumps you into people. And, 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 and in, in the late 90s, so this was 99, um, we didn't all have cell phones. So when I would call for Simon, I'd call the landline at the house and she would answer the phone and we would talk mm-hmm. and she was homesick yeah and we all know what homesickness is like when you're away from home and serving so i just worked and helped and just was available you know over the phone mm-hmm. and just shared with her and give her a place where she could talk and and the following easter the following april uh, she asked if I would um, take her to the northeast of England, where I'm from, because mm-hmm. she's on the southern coast right now. Yeah. And I was telling her, if you want to see the true beauty of the United Kingdom, you want to travel around and certainly see the north. You know, the northeast has nice places to it. Um, the northwest, it really is like like that's that's God's oil painting right there. It's the county mm-hmm. of Cumbria and the Lake District and. Uh, I said I'd, I'd you know, be happy to travel and tour her around. And of course you would. Uh-huh. Yeah, knowing that she was out in my league. <laughs> like I wouldn't even try. And and, yeah. and I was very secure in that. Yeah. And yeah. so and so we, I picked her up, realized that this is the very first time we've spent any time together, apart from the very first meeting when we were in a group of people. Mm-hmm. After that, it's just been a few phone calls and that's it. And, and so we were really strangers and we traveled five hours to my parents' home and, and got a chance to visit and, and tour around and, and, and day three, uh, I took it to my favorite place in, in, in my hometown, in my homeland. Um, and it's, and it's the Cleveland Hills. I, I'm from the Tees Valley, from the valley in we have the Cleveland Hills, and, and a part of the Cleveland Hills has rosemary topping. 
and it's and it's and it's an it's a hill it's not a mountain mm-hmm. it's i don't even know if it's a four thousand feet but it's an easy hike yeah you know and but it's just it's just beauty and you can see over the valley so i took her for a hike and we went up and on the way down i offered her my hand to help her down from a rock and when i took her hand i just heard the lord's voice i said this is your wife <laughs> like almost with like tone of a father of hey genius wake up yeah this is your wife what are you doing you know because yeah. i was totally fully like my heart was innocent like i was not trying mm-hmm. to pull any moves yeah. i wasn't trying to convince her that i was a good guy <laughs> like i just was not there um and 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 i didn't know what to say other than you need to tell her that because <laughs> i'm not going to be one of those guys yeah and 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 I didn't even say a word all the drive home. Like, I, I didn't know what to say. And we um, we hung out with some with a group of friends. And and at that time, Friends, the TV show, was new. Yeah. So it was being shown on TV. And, and Joey and Phoebe have this episode where they commit to marrying each other if they're still single when they're 30. Yeah. And on the drive home, Mindy jokingly said, hey... If I was still single when I'm 30, what do you say? And in my mind, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I'd, I'd marry you right now. I don't need to wait till I'm 30. And we got home and I, I, had, I had a confession to make. And I said, I'm, you're probably going to want to take the first train out in the morning. And that's understandable. But <laughs> I like you more than just being friends. And I'm just expecting her to get up and just lock herself in a room until the morning. And she says, well, how much more? <laughs> I said, well, I, want, I would want to marry you. He <laughs> says, I want to marry you too. <laughs> you do? He's like, yes. Hmm. So what do we do about that? She was part of a discipleship program and relationships weren't allowed while she was in this program. I was still serving, mm-hmm. going through rehab and my exit thing with the military. And, and so it's going to be a long distance relationship. So I said, OK, then. So our hearts have sealed. We've committed a covenant right now that we will get married. But we have to finish this chapter that the Lord has us working on. And she'll go home in August and then I'll come out when I'm discharged and I'll meet the family and ask her dad for a hand. Mm-hmm. So we did that. We wrote letters and cards to each other and and I would have an appointment to be at 8 o'clock in the telephone box on base yeah. and she would call it at 8 o'clock and I'd be there mm-hmm. and we talked and it was so good. Mm. It was so good. So I came out in September of 2000 I was discharged. Um, when I was discharged um, and came out. Um, I came out and and went home to my parents' house. Went through that grieving process of everything, and and being extremely sick at that time. I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like I was really sick, and part of the injury and the trauma that was the event, um, it resulted in FMS. Mm-hmm. Like my body was broken, um, and and the Olympic Games 
were going on in, in Australia. And I was watching the triathlon with my dad, like one o'clock in the morning. And, and, and I was watching and, and I was just so sick and tired of, of that realization of I could be there doing that. Like I, I was a fit guy and I would love to have competed like that. And now I can't. And, and I just said goodnight to my dad and I just went to bed. And I'd laid in bed and, and you lay in the position that causes the least amount of pain because you're always in constant pain. And, and I was just laying there and then I heard the Lord say, you haven't asked. Hmm. And I said, I haven't asked what? You haven't asked me yet. I haven't asked what? You haven't asked. Like, okay. Hey, people have prayed and, I, and I've agreed with their prayers. Prayed for healing. He says, but you, not you, you haven't asked. Who said that? You have not because you don't ask. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so when I was diagnosed, like I knew God was closing that door to my career because I wouldn't have done it. So I knew this was an infliction, but he'll take away when he's ready. And if he's never ready, then I get a whole new do-over with a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be okay. But there's a reason for everything. Like I had no doubt. I didn't feel like this was an infliction. I didn't feel like this was a judgment on me. I didn't feel anything other than God's good mm -hmm. and he's got control of this and I'm okay. So when he said, now you haven't asked, like okay, now I'm ready to ask then. So then Lord, if it's your will, like I, I don't want to live half a life with half the potential serving you I want that full life and to honor you and everything. So I'm ready. Take this away. And it immediately went. I mean, immediate. <laughs> and as a drummer, the first yeah. thing I did was move my hands because yeah. I couldn't move my, my hands and my fingers very well. Mm. And, and I'm touching myself and feeling my, my arms, my shoulders and my legs. And like I feel like I felt like I was floating. It just, it was amazing. I never... I'd been pain free for the first time in years. Mm. And so, so when I came over here in November of 2000 to meet Mindy's parents and ask her dad for a hand, and like she'd never known me well. She'd only known me when I was broken. Mm -hmm. So I was a completely new person to her. And I think that caused her a little bit of worry. Yeah. Because she didn't, we were, we were going to get married knowing that she might be the career you know, uh, the career, um, have to have a career and be a provider. Yeah. If anything, I might be a stay-at-home dad if you had kids. And mm -hmm. and now, like, you know, like, I am back together. Yeah. I am normal again. And and we can go out there and do anything. And and so, so, so yeah, I, I came over, met a family, asked the dad for a hand, everything he approved. <laughs> And so, <laughs> that was a surprise. <laughs> so, um, I think as Mindy was the last of the daughters to get married, he was just ready for her to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so, so, so yeah, I have a, I have a wonderful family. Uh, yeah. Mindy's Mindy's parents, my in-laws. Uh, he's a pastor, and um, and and uh, Mindy has two sisters and, and two brother-in-laws, and. And just began life 
in 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 Corvallis, Oregon. Mm. Um, and as soon as I came, and my body's well now, and I'm looking at, you know, going back to service. Um, I went to become a volunteer firefighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to be a wanted to be a paid guy. Nobody just wants to be a volunteer necessarily. Yeah. You know, not when you're young. Yeah. And so I was what 24, 25. And it's like I'm ready to go out there and and get a job. And found out you have to be a volunteer first. So I became a volunteer and started serving and um, and got work. And our desire was for me to be a stay-at-home mom because that was a her heart's desire and it was mine according to you know what we felt the lord was going to bless us with the ability to do mm-hmm. and he did and and he blessed us with that and and i just served as a volunteer coached out on the football field yeah yeah <laughs> so coaching soccer yeah. there you go okay. and uh and and just we were just blessed with a life in carvallis and 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 the church friends and the, and the family that we connected with and and raising a family and and all the way through i was expecting to be that paid guy one day mm-hmm. i was working um and volunteering with a young family and that was really tough it wasn't easy um and i was still going through healing still yeah my body was still recovering from all the injury and trauma that i'd had for all those years so you know my body was still going through this journey itself and um and and gaining strength and um and then and then i thought one day i'll be that career guy when our youngest is ready to go to school and mindy's ready to go to work because you know she would be ready and mm-hmm. and we're ready to take a pay cut because she can maybe offset the pay cut to be a firefighter and and I thought that would be perfect. So in 2012, uh, having time of conversation with my dad, we were on vacation together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just sharing with him I have this overwhelming desire to to still fight. Like I had this fight left inside me. That's what it felt like. Like there's unfinished business. Like, but it just doesn't go away. So I asked him, having been out for maybe 30 years, when does it go away? He's thinking, oh, son, it never goes away. Like once you've done the job and once you've served, you always have this desire inside to serve. And and I hadn't been a volunteer firefighter for a couple of years at that point. So I hadn't been able to put my energy into something else. You know, it was just I was working in property management, loving the firm and the family that I was working for um, and and doing good and honest business that was honoring to the Lord and, and raising my family and... And, and I, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be here in 30 years with this. And I heard the Lord's voice say, "Chaplain." I think, what's that? The chaplain. Think, but what is that? Chaplain. So I googled it. <laughs> it's like, oh, padre. I remember. Pa- we had a padre. Never oh. talked to the guy. That's okay. what you call it, padre. Yeah, over there nice. is a padre. Yeah. And uh, it's like I never spoke to our padre. Like he was. He was he he spoke too posh, he was too soft. Mm-hmm. He couldn't relate to his grunts. Uh, he had the he was a civilian with an honorary rank of captain, yeah. so being a captain, that automatically disqualifies us from ever getting close to each other. Yeah. And so I never talked to him. So then I thought, okay, Lord, if you're calling me back to service, 
I know what I don't want to be like because I don't want to be like that chaplain. But I certainly could be whoever you want me to be and learn the lesson of what not to do. So I began the process with the Army Chaplain Corps to join up and serve and went through almost two years where I'd get a new staff sergeant who would take my file and start from scratch all over again. Like they'd get promoted out and somebody else would take my file and start from scratch. So then we're getting to 2014 and and we went through this journey with Mindy and I of being missionaries. If, if I'm going to be a chaplain and we're called overseas and then I'm, you know, if we were on deployment and she's, you know, say in Germany, for example, and with a family, how difficult that's going to be. And, and then me trusting the Lord with my family and realizing that I hadn't given them over to him, that I had control, like I was holding on to them. I was providing for them. I was their security. I was keeping them safe, you know. And then the Lord was saying, well, if you're going to go and do this mission, <laughs> that, that all goes away. So who's really in control here? Who do they belong to? And it humbled me and it put me on my knees and confessed, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't realize what I was doing was sinful. I, I thought what I was doing was right. But I was acting in my flesh and my understanding, not yours. And I gave my family over to you to the rightful place. And then the door closed permanently. I never got a phone call back, an email back, nothing. They stopped communicating. And so, so then I thought, great. Uh, I've become a firefighter now. You know, Mindy's ready to go to work. It's 2014. I'll be a chaplain and what I'll do is I'll be a firefighter and my days off, I'll go through school. You know, if I have to get my Masters of Divinity, it'll probably take me 12 years to get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll, I have time. I can do that now. I'll, I'll do that. Um, and, and I was still, I was still just a, a green card holder. I was still a permanent resident. So there's no opportunity to serve in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, so I was, I was okay. And, and was ready to test and ready to start this new chapter of being a firefighter and and hopefully getting picked up and had another accident. And so what I realize is I can be so, like I say, I am as dumb as I look. Like I can be so dumb sometimes that it takes God to wrap me up beside the head to get my attention to say, okay, now let's get back on track. <laughs> so I was playing an indoor soccer game um, I used to play lots of games, you know, sometimes four or five games a week, sometimes two or three games a night. Yeah. Um, as a goalkeeper, I had, had 26 years as a goalkeeper and coach goalkeepers and and uh, and I love rugby too, obviously. So mm -hmm. goalkeeping and rugby are pretty close to each other, and you still get to hit people. And oh, my brother plays rugby. I, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fun. And so, yeah. so, uh, but I, I, I this really big guy fall on me and crush me and it crushed my shoulder it destroyed my shoulder mm. and it destroyed everything in my shoulder like it was a full rebuild a full reconstruction and uh, me being me uh, when it first happened I didn't think it was as bad as it was so it took me six months before I was finally got some help to, yeah. to, to look at my shoulder and, and ask the surgeon is it as bad as I think it is because it's starting to feel pretty bad <laughs> for him to turn around and go, <laughs> it's worse than you think it is. Jeez. And so, so I ended up having major reconstruction 
and it took two years of recovery just to even, I couldn't pick my kids up. I couldn't play tickle fights with them. I couldn't do anything. It was, mm. it was really, really bad. Mm. Um, but that ended, at that time, ended the thought of ever being physically capable of being a firefighter again. Like that was gone. Like the idea of, if you get 70% range of movement back in your shoulder, that'll be a big deal. Like, really? And certain ranges of movement that you're never going to get back? Like, there's no way I'm ever going to do anything like that. I'm never going to be a firefighter. And so, so that was when some, a, a good friend of mine, Mark Andresen, who's a, who's a retired pastor in Carvalis, who's just a spiritually gifted, guided uh, man, uh, lover of Christ, and, and, and went to speak with him and, and just shared you know, where I am and my desire to fulfill my calling of being a chaplain. And I thought I would do that when I retired after a career. Like a lot of guys do. Yeah. A lot of guys think that that's where they'll head. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and God's obviously closed the door to that. Typical fashion of me. Of, you know, it's not just a little simple thing, a little whisper in your ear. It's like a two by four around the head. Yeah. And, <coughs> and so how, what do I do now? How do I do that? And he said, well, where is your heart? He said, my heart is here in my community. Uh, I'd served as a volunteer firefighter, so I'm, I, it's with my firefighter friends. It's with them. It's with the guys who are putting it all on the line. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the cops, where society is shifting to where it's not so law enforcement friendly anymore. Yeah. And, it's, and it's that, and it's the vacuum of being on a, co- on a call, on a code, you know, with, with the department. Uh, if who fills the vacuum now when, when, when somebody, when a lady's husband of 60 years has died and we as an ambulance company just restore the rig and go back to the next call because there's so many calls mm-hmm. and the sheriff's deputy or the police officers staying behind as the funeral home's coming in and uh, who fills that vacuum? Who takes care of her now? Mm-hmm. And that was all this put together and he said, well, there's a place for you. you know, there are chaplains that serve police and fire and serve the community. And he introduced me to this notion of being a first responder chaplain. And I began the journey right there of, of realizing that I thought the Lord was calling me to do this when my career was over. Mm-hmm. But he was calling me to it now. Yeah. And, and I thought I would just do it as a volunteer firefighter, you know, time-wise. Like, I work full-time. And I do my volunteering and I serve my community as I'm able to. And, and, and I asked the Lord the question of, so why, why didn't you give me that full career? Like, why didn't I get the full career in the military and come out and do this? Why didn't I get to be a full-time, full-career guy, firefighter, and get to do this? Like, I only have these short, short experiences. And he said you have just enough exposure to be of use without being so calloused you're of no longer use yeah. i never thought that mm-hmm. and i realize that now now we see some of our guys who you know you get so exposed you know it's just like everything like like working with your hands 
you know, you, you get calloused. And it's not an unhealthy callousness. It's, it's preservation yeah. in order for you to keep, be capable of doing the job. But for me to do my job, to fulfill my calling as a chaplain, I wouldn't be allowed to be that calloused because I still have to have that openness and sensitivity and availability to be of service. So it's just enough. And so that was the realization of it's just enough to walk in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began right there and then. Um, my wife has always known she was going to be a missionary ever since she was ever since she was eight. She knew she was going to be a missionary. We thought, and I knew I was called into ministry somewhere somehow. Um, when I was uh, when I was a kid, I always thought I'd be a youth leader and a firefighter. You know, as a kid, that was all I thought of. You know, I'll be a fire, in fire brigade yeah. back then, and yeah. and I'll be a youth pastor, and that's what I thought. So I always knew I'd be in ministry, just didn't know how. And then as I'm getting older, I think, oh, the time's passed. You know, I'm 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 really old now. There's no way I'm going back to school now. You know, and all these things, and and uh, and I'm really not academically gifted. To I would have struggled getting a masters of divinity. <laughs> If the Lord had wanted me to do it, he would have to equip me and make a way. Um, but what I realize is what I'm lacking that's in, in, in teaching ability and, and being a preacher um, fits me perfectly into this place of being a chaplain. Mm-hmm. I have really gifted friends who are preachers, really gifted teachers. Seth Trimmer is in Corvallis at Grace City Church. And he's in, like, he is gifted. Like, you just want to just listen to this guy constantly. Yeah. Um, and I'm not that guy. But what I am is I am a guy who can walk life out a little bit, a little bit rough around the edges, a little bit, you know, more exposed to the world and the environment of emergency services and mm-hmm. some of the coarseness that can go with that and, and fit right in, you know. Because I'm really a simple guy, <laughs> um, but I think that's also, as I've had a couple of first responders share with me, they feel comfortable talking with me because of that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a head full of memory verses, yeah. you know. Because I've had so many hits in the head of shaking them all loose, yeah. you know, and um, and because I'm coming at them as you know military service and fire service so you understand a little bit of their world the paramilitary environment with law enforcement Mm -hmm. and then the fire service side sometimes as they're exposed to their trauma all they can say sometimes is well you know and so i have a few first responders who've i've you know had time with and and, and as they've expressed, sometimes, you know, following a traumatic incident and a call or, or a build-up and they've reached that point of overload. And, and sometimes it's literally been, all they've had to say is, you just know. Mm-hmm. And they just give you that look in the eye. Because you've, you have experienced some of these calls with them. Certainly as a chaplain now, you know, when we're called in on their scenes, you know, we're called into the fatal incidents. So you're walking out this traumatic event together which creates its own fusion mm-hmm. as you experience and that automatically gives credence to the relationship of chaplain 
to the first responder because you have you have some skin in the game but you also have the experience on this incident of they don't have to speak it all out yeah and that helps sometimes yeah and so it 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 just it works and it it's been working so extremely well but it works well it works well because it's it all begins with that genuine and purposeful relationship mm-hmm. you know of being in their station being in their office being in the patrol car or the engine or the ambulance just riding spending time getting to know letting them get to know me and the biggest one learning right from the beginning was being able to be vulnerable myself to them because mm-hmm. how can I expect them to be vulnerable to me and reveal you know their hurt and their wounds if I can't be honest and having shared mine when I came out of the military yeah because it just gives the illusion of someone who's here to to make judgment and and then mm-hmm. try and fix it yeah yeah I mean you know coming from where I come from I don't want Somebody who I don't suspect has has been through something similar. Mm-hmm. Who's not going to understand it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's pretty amazing, you know, where you come from because you cover a plethora of of different uh, backgrounds mm-hmm. that people have, and so it's kind of cool. And you know, I've t- I I've talked to you about you know, stuff going on in my career where it's God's making changes whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. And I might as well learn, learn to like it, you know. <laughs> but coming from where what you've been through and, and how the the changes have kind of been made for you. And a, not even a full verse, but part of a verse has just been hit me in the face over and over and over again. And it's when Jesus said to to Saul at the time, later Paul, right? He said, why do you kick against the goads? And that just keeps coming up over and over, and I, and I hear it in your story. Like, yeah, but I'm supposed to be doing this. No, you're kicking against the goads again. Mm-hmm. I have something better for you. Mm-hmm. Why are you taking this, this path going against what I want you to do? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think a lot... Like you, then it's a, the case with a lot of us. We get comfortable going a certain way, and we think that I'm comfortable going this way, so this must be what God has for me. Mm-hmm. But like in your case, no, no. But at the same time, like uh, you say, you you joined the military because it was what you wanted to do. You didn't think it was what God wanted you to do, but it was ultimately what you really wanted to do. And it. It reminds me of something John Corson said. If you want to know the will of God for your life, just love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and do whatever you want. Because mm-hmm. He's going to write His will on your heart. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty cool that your life actually kind of shows that. Yeah, and I appreciate hearing it from that side because... Because with the most recent, you know, change in in, in career-wise, you know, because it was working full-time in order to volunteer as a chaplain, was a, I thought that was as good as it got. 
Mm -hmm. I really did. And, and I didn't feel as though I was acting in my own flesh in that because I was still trying to do good and honest business. And, and I truly loved the work that I did, you know, in property management that, uh, that I worked in and, and the family that I worked for that I had a deep relationship with. And, and I thought just serving the community and, and the, first, the first responder community. And, and, and I didn't, going back to how good our father is and how much he blesses us with good things, because like, I thought that was as good as it got. And he showed me something completely different in November. Because that was, I wouldn't have taken that leap of faith to step out and go full time into chaplaincy. Okay, what happened? Because we haven't actually really talked about that. Okay. And so. I mean, we have, but. We have. <laughs> so <laughs> we ended up. Um, I don't know how far to go into that. Um, I feel like I've talked forever already. Um, so, having served, um, like I say, the, at the time I was serving um, Turner Fire, McMinnville Fire, Lynn County Sheriff's Office as their chaplain, as a volunteer within their organizations. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I would respond to their needs for assistance um, and, and build relationship in my time off. You know, and, and I would, you know, go and see them in the evening and or my day off work or whatever it may be. And that was how I was serving as a chaplain at the time. Then coming into September of, of 2018, I heard the Lord uh, ask the question, are you ready to step out in faith? And I asked when and how? And the answer came January, uh, but no how. Yeah, why, why do we never hear the how? I have no idea. Yeah. And so uh, faith building up of, I, I have no idea, but God's yeah. got this unique way of giving you enough of the picture to understand what he's doing, mm -hmm. um, to walk in faith without taken away you need to walk in faith yeah and and so this was this was clear something was going to happen in january and i had no idea what because i didn't think i was walking in my flesh i didn't feel like i was being sinful by mm. doing what i was doing because i thought i was doing the right thing i was working and earning a paycheck yeah and and then i was volunteering the rest of my time and and in the paycheck was paying for that service and I thought it was great. I, I thought it was, that was, what else could you want? You know, our needs are all met. We're covered. Um, and so, so in September, when I heard him say, ask that question, step, are you ready to step out in faith? And I said, yes. Uh, and then I got stuck. Got stuck on Esther, the book of Esther, all month long. Every sermon and every devotional, everything, even my parents emailed to me, I mean, everything was just Esther. And so I knew the Lord was really up to something. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in October, um, I came home um, following the Chaplain's Academy at DPSST. Um, and then uh, in, in a call, there, there was a fatal incident 
that required a chaplain. Um, and I got home late. And when I walked in the door, my wife looked at me and, and said, okay, you ready to step out in faith? I think the time's now. And what she saw in me was she saw that I was not tired or stressed. I was at peace. It had been a difficult call, maybe a difficult day, difficult week. Um, just busy. Um, but she saw a peace about me. But she said those words. I think if it's time to step out in faith, the time's now. And that led to the conversation of, this is what I've been talking to God about for the last month. But I don't really know what it means or how. So, but he's up to something. Mm-hmm. And that was the Saturday we spoke on that. Um, and then on Monday, I put the first email out to a financial partner of ours who really you know, supports chaplaincy mission and the first responders and just ask for prayer, ask for input and ask for wise counsel. And I went to work on Wednesday and I was fired on the spot. And so, thankfully, the Lord spoke immediately and, and told me very clearly, uh, he didn't give you this job and he's not taking it away. I am, which calmed me down and brought peace. And I was able to rebut the false accusations and the lies that were spoken mm-hmm. um, with, with wisdom and with peacefulness and gentleness that I wouldn't have had in my own flesh um, and he also enough time to you know confront you know the the company on um, the wrongdoing of 17 years worth of work mm-hmm. and to cut me loose just because there's a new boss with a new desire to take the company in a new direction that wasn't uh, including me any yeah. longer. Um, I got the chance to uh, propose a severance package and they made an agreement then to give me a severance package of three months which took me through January. So God's timing, if something's going to happen in January, yeah. was right there mm-hmm. and right then. And I've lived then, my wife and I and my three kids, I went home that night. You know, I packed up my office, packed up my stuff, and came home. And my son is detail oriented, yeah. a little bit like me. And he saw the stuff in the back of my car. He saw my fridge in the back of my car, and and uh, waited to say something later. Dad, why is your office in the back of your car? <laughs> I said, Well, we'll have that conversation after dinner, son. It's just gonna be a family meeting. And so I sat down for the family meeting and I told them, so today I was fired for the very first time in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and God is in this. God is good. This was God's plan. And my middle daughter, she's, she has a gift of empathy, burst out crying. You know, because how could they hurt you like that? Yeah. How could they do that to you like that? And was just devastated, especially as close as we were with the family that owned the company. It was really painful. Um, 
and and being able to comfort her and 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 then share with my youngest one uh, who is nine um, and being able to so my oldest son would be so 15 13 and nine those are my kids and get to share with them that listen this isn't a bad thing mm-hmm. when we give God control he has control of all things but the thing that I'm really excited about because you don't see me looking worried right now is because God's in control we've seen that but you've lived your entire lives at this point living off my testimony of God's goodness mm-hmm. and his provision and how he's taken care of me in, in the worst of situations and brought us through and brought me here you know married to your mom living in this beautiful corner of the United States in the Willamette Valley and like, like this is just I never this was a heart's desire as a kid that I never thought was even feasible it was just look how good God is but now we get to walk out in faith fully exposed yeah. like we are fully out there like there's no hiding it and there's no safety net oh there's no greater ministry than your own kids and for them to get to see it firsthand yeah. that's and then I get to share awesome with them and get to say now you have your very own testimony that you're going to get to build your life on now from this moment mm-hmm. you will see God's goodness yep and so so we celebrated we praised um, everything was good um, we were coming into Thanksgiving um, I didn't know if I could trust the company to send those severance checks um, and so we really didn't know how Thanksgiving and Christmas were really going to be mm-hmm. um, we ended up with some really good friends um, uh, the Lyles and they have uh, a son-in-law who's a sheriff's deputy in Lynn County and and they came over to our house and loaded up our doorstep with groceries <laughs> for Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving dinner and treats for the kids and my kids had came home from the school my family Mindy came home from school with the kids and walked walked past them on the doorstep and walked in the house and left them outside and I came home later that night and I saw everything on the doorstep and and, I was like, and there's a card on them too there's a card right there and and I and I asked is I opened the door isn't there anybody going to bring this in it's like oh we thought you were we thought you were taking it somewhere because <laughs> that's what they were yeah. used to right like we, yeah. we serve people and mm-hmm. we'd never been served like that ourselves mm-hmm. so we were very emotional very blessed with with Dave and Kitty um, and just their family and their heart of generosity and kindness of if they knew we just stepped out in faith and what we were doing as chaplains and and that's where love is and that's sometimes where as believers we need to understand sometimes it's just the case of whatever you can do just do mm-hmm. sometimes it may be a gift card. It may be a bag of groceries. It may be, you know, a word of encouragement. Yeah. It may be a text message, you know. It could be the slightest little thing and it means a world of difference. Because when we're fully out there like we are right now, 
that means everything. Those are the things. I have I had a, I have received a card from Mike King, a pastor of Suburban Church in Corvallis. It's just a card saying, praying for you, mm-hmm. love you, support you. God's got you, but we're here for you. You know, our home is your home. And and that brings me to my knees and and and, and I and I ball in my office. Because those are the things that fuel me. You know, God gives me the capability and the equipment and pours on me and he puts me out there. But when people take that time to do those things and say those things or give you those gifts of having a friend who's a fellow chaplain give a gift for my family, a monetary gift for Christmas. Mm-hmm because we weren't going to be able to buy Christmas presents. Yeah. Um, all those things, it was, it, it means a world of difference to us and it helps fuel us through those tougher times mm-hmm. and those, those times that are a little bit more trying and those times where we could just get spiritually bombarded by the enemy. Oh yeah. Because we get hammered. Yeah. Well, you're still a soldier. Mm-hmm. Different kind. Different kind. Better yeah. kind. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it. it that's interesting because your your story almost it kind of feels like you're walking me through the Bible because here we started in the Old Testament you're you're a soldier doing battle you know mm-hmm. and then the further we get along the closer you get to okay now it's now it's grace through faith right mm-hmm. grace by faith and so now you're serving in that capacity mm-hmm. and so um, I think it's awesome how many how many different uh, agencies are you serving now so we have our nonprofit now. So we have Willamette Valley First Responder Chaplains. Mm-hmm. We abbreviate that. I hope so. WVFRC. Okay. Dot org. So you can go to the website right there. Yeah. And uh, so we have our nonprofit, and our nonprofit has service agreements with Carvalis PD, Carvalis Fire, Benton County Sheriff's Office, and then Turner Fire and Turner Police Department. Okay. Um, I also serve other agencies as a volunteer within their organisation. Uh, within the agency, being Lynn County Sheriff's Office, mm-hmm. uh, McMinnville Fire yeah. Department, and Oregon State Police. Yeah. And so. Yeah, you're a member of our CERT team for uh, a little while now. You've been on that team. Yes. Yeah, so. It's a, a huge honor to even be included in a conversation. Uh, I know, you know, I, the guys that you have on those teams and the chaplains that you have serving, mm-hmm. uh, those are legends that I look up to. and. And those are mentors of mine, um, and you know. And I look at, I've only been serving for four years. Mm-hmm. These are guys who've been serving twenty something years, and um, it, it is an honor and a privilege. But I also feel those are the times too, and it's a confirmation that okay, Lord, that was certainly you, because that wasn't me. I didn't earn my spot. <laughs> well, he put you in the right place because there's been a void. There has been a bit of a void down there, mm-hmm. and that's not me speaking against anybody that's that's there. It's just that I, having been on cert for a while, I haven't, we haven't had anybody in that region mm-hmm. with the availability to help. And chaplains are hugely important to me. I uh, I've received a lot of the, you know, the services firsthand. And I think it's it's incredibly important to have those in place because there's a lot of guys that that's where they'd prefer to go. We have great, I call them MHPs, uh, mental health professionals. Um, 
Steve wife, Steve's wife um, is one of them. Just a, you know, a, a person called by God to go into the mental health profession. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys are hesitant to go to that. And not only that, but we don't have MHPs that are coming to our calls. Mm-hmm. They're not coming to the calls. They're not jumping in a passenger seat as a ride-along. And so they, they do get to know the culture. But there are people like me who feel more comfortable having a chaplain in my car because it's, it's not somebody with a bunch of letters after their name mm-hmm. whose job is to analyze what's going on in my head. It's, it's someone who... Well, for me, the, the religious aspect is important. However... That's not your goal, Mm-mm. right? You're not out there, mm-hmm. and and I think that's that's how chaplains have been accepted in in a state such as Oregon. Is that's not your goal is to convert everybody. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to be there. To. To be there, it's to be there and to help uh, promote more of a a healthy mental, I guess, way of coping with the job as a whole. And so I, th- I think that that you being in your position to be able to start something where you are is is huge. And you might not see that from where you are right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure that you don't see it as this big thing because you're supposed to be humble. Mm-hmm. But it is a big thing. It's a big thing for guys like me. Uh who see horrible things and so you see those right along with me but you've been through and you've come out the other side healthy mm-hmm. and so you're able to share that experience with some people and you're there enough that you get a feel for these people so if something is going south you can recognize it and they recognize you as somebody that they can mm-hmm. talk to in confidence and I think that's another huge thing that I want to you know share with our listeners is if you do go to a chaplain, as long as, as long as you're not ex- <laughs> wanting to hurt yourself, mm-hmm. admitting to commission of a crime, you know the normal stuff that are mandatory reports, you are 100% confidential, and it's backed by a statute, an Oregon statute, and not only that, but uh, you have the same confidentiality that a pastor would. Yeah, the clergy rights that were given and we're afforded in the state of Oregon does provide that safety and security for the people that we're serving. Mm-hmm. Be- and it protects us too as a chaplain. You know, you may have a, you know, an attorney come out and want to subpoena everybody that, you know, uh, some a law enforcement officer, you know how they work. They, they slap everybody, everybody that you spoke to, but they can't do that to the chaplain. Mm-hmm. And that's the safety and the security right there. If everything's confidential, and 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 that's the key. Uh, you can't compromise that in any capacity. Um, and, the, and and that's as I explain to people what I do, because I come across people of all different walks of faith or absolutely no faith, um, and and some of them are very hostile to the chaplain. They do not want the chaplain. Mm-hmm. You know, members of the community, civilian members of the community, or even members of agencies, you know, because, you know, you're representing 
you know, the Christian faith, you're representing God, you know, you're the God squad. Um, or they automatically presume I'm a pastor, you know, or a preacher. And, and, and when I share with them that, well, first and foremost, what I am is I'm, I'm a, a, a crisis response officer or a critical incident officer. You know, if you were to label me in an, in an agency, that's what mm -hmm. we would be. We're trained in crisis intervention. Mm -hmm. We're trained in critical incident stress management. Um, so we're trained to respond in, 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 in crisis. And that's what, we're, that's what we work in. My banner as a chaplain affords me those clergy rights to give you the protection you need and give me the protection to serve you. And, and that is so helpful because that changes the uniform personnel, it changes their approach to me straight away. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as I share that, then I say, in the state of Oregon, we are not allowed to evangelize or proselytize. But even if we were, I still wouldn't do that. Because I want to honor and respect you and, and, and who you are. First rule about the chaplain, it's not about the chaplain. Mm -hmm. And the second rule is if there's no drama, we don't create it. So if I walk in with humility and grace and I meet anybody, whomever they are, wherever they are, then that means I don't have a motivation other than just to be available. Mm -hmm. I've had several, uh, even um, members of the community, civilians that I've served on scene with, who, were, who have, have different faiths or no faiths, and a couple of atheists that did not want the chaplain on scene. Like, vehemently did not want the chaplain, were angry that I was called in on scene. Yeah. And, and my officers then are like, oh, chaplain, I'm so sorry. Like, because they brought me in. So then they feel responsible for me. Like, we just exposed you to a whole bunch of anger. And, and, and it's like, it's nothing that I haven't seen before. And that's okay. And, and you know, if they don't need me, they don't want me, uh, it's okay to just hang out with you. And you're guys, and I'll just be out the back, out of the way, you know. And, and so you just you stay out of the way. Yeah. And like, oh, that would be great. You just we get to hang out, right? Especially when it's uh, you know an investigation, and you're gonna be there for a while. And so, and and then, and 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 as usually that member of the community hears that the chaplain is still here. And and so well, what? And sometimes the question is, well, what's he still doing here? And then one of the officers said, well, he's actually our chaplain. He's here for us. So then it changes. Okay, you can send him in for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so then yeah. that opens the door. Mm -hmm. So then I, and I engage with them. I introduce myself to them mm -hmm. and, and say, you know, ma'am, I understand you really don't want the chaplain to be present. And I just want you to know that's okay. Because it's not about me. This is about you. And I'm, and I'm so sorry for your loss today, mm -hmm. you know. What I am trained in is I'm trained in critical incident stress management and crisis intervention to possibly be of any help to you. So if you think of anything that you think I might be able to help with, I'll just be outside. And then that all of a sudden turns into a whole night of service. Yeah. And then follow-up service and relationship. And, and, and I don't raise... And the Bible in my hand. I don't tell them, you know, about my faith. I don't share anything until I'm asked. Yeah. And if I'm asked, then I share. Mm -hmm. You know, I answer that question simply and delicately, mm -hmm. respectfully. Yeah. Because I don't have an agenda. 
-hmm. Chaplains that have agendas do a disservice to every chaplain that's out there and it does a disservice to the agencies that we're serving. Mm -hmm. Because we are first and foremost representing the police chief yeah. or the sheriff or the fire chief and whichever agency we're representing right there and then. So we better do a professional job to make sure they get you know, the respect that deserves to be returned back to their department for handling the civilian and the community member properly. Mm -hmm. That's how it should be. All right. You have a website? Yes. WVFRC.org. Okay. You might have to say that in American. Yeah, WVFRC.org. Yeah. Yep, and on Facebook too. Yeah, the okay. Facebook thing is a little bit less uh, about us. Um, I really. It's really pressed upon my heart to be an advocate for our first responders. Okay. Especially our law enforcement family because of the narrative that's out there. Mm -hmm. So what we use a Facebook page more, more so is to share the, good, share the work that's been taking place in the community that doesn't get spoken of, you know, and, and introduce uh, the community to our first responders, uh, you know, pulling things from other people's pages and resharing things. Mm -hmm. So we get to speak on that. and every once in a while because you know we are a faith-based organization and mm -hmm. um, so there are prayer requests out there when we have somebody suffering you know and, and very generic very blank very confidential yeah um, so we do have those that are out there but uh, of all things that I get to do is I get to speak to the community and really show them why our first responders need their support and encouragement and for the faith community to dedicate prayer to them mm -hmm. and to actually show and demonstrate that in person. Yeah. And so that's what I get to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you weren't going to uh, mention this, but, you know, as a nonprofit organization, you're always open to uh, new funding sources. And so, you know, being the being one who steps out in faith mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's kind of falls upon the the shoulders of the rest of the you know the christian community i believe too especially if you're a you know a christian based organization um i think it falls on you know the the christian faith as a whole to recognize that this is a work of god and a lot of people are called to give you know and so um you know i just want to throw that throw that out there that you know those that are listening if you feel like this is something that's that's worthy of you know helping to fund then you know get on the website and and, and um you know find out how it is that you can fund this particular chaplaincy because it's really the only one in that particular area that I know of. And your goal is to do great things. It really is. And given the suicide rate right now, not just in law enforcement, but, you know, I've, I've heard the statistic that since 1990, it's, it's gone up 33%. And we're constantly talking about it as a society. But we're not necessarily doing a whole lot about it. 
-hmm. And so I think chaplaincy as a whole is trying to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing talking to a chaplain. If you have somebody who's in a crisis situation, the resources that you folks have. Yeah. Not just the resources, but the ear to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's worth, you know, um, whether it's a church or whether it's an individual or a business, it's worth the money that goes into it mm. to help promote this thing because otherwise it's just uh, it's just not getting out there. Yeah, I appreciate that, mate. It's you know we are trying to build that team. It's not you know it's not a one man show. Mm. Um, it is finding those uh, individuals who have served in law enforcement, fire, and EMS, dispatches, yeah. medical examiners, nurses, yeah. mm -hmm. military veterans, finding those individuals who've worked in those critically intense environments, and and if they're called to be chaplains, it has to be a calling. Mm -hmm. This isn't something you can just walk into and, and make up as you go along. Yeah. It, it's too difficult. Um, it's, it's too damaging. Mm -hmm. um, but for those who are called, we want to find those and give them the training and the equipping and get them out there mm -hmm. to serve you know, their agencies, their first responders in their communities and, and, and let God build his team. This, this team isn't something that I can put together or any man can really put together. Mm -hmm. But I can be available for God's appointment. Yeah. And 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 I just appreciate your support and encouragement that you've given me and been in, yeah, allowing me to share a little bit with it. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a huge audience, but I wanted to make mm -hmm. sure that those who do listen to this mm -hmm. understand the benefits if mm -hmm. they haven't received it firsthand to to seek it when they mm -hmm. when they feel like they might need it, or just to get to know their chaplain because. Mm -hmm. um, you know, me personally, where I'm at, we don't have a designated chaplain. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, through, you know, the CERT team and everything else, I've been allowed to make these contacts, and it's been hugely beneficial. So I'm speaking from a standpoint of somebody who didn't used to have it, mm -hmm. who's been through some, some crap, and now knows that it's available. And I want to make sure that people that listen know that it's an awesome resource. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you guys don't, you know, it's it's not like uh, you're not getting paid by the by the person you help, you know, by the number of people or anything mm -hmm. like that. You're and nor is that why you do it. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you were doing it for the money, you'd be doing something else. Yeah. So you're in it for the right reasons, and and so anybody who's listening. Um, Get to know your chaplain. Mm. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. No, I appreciate it. So, Willamette Valley First Responder Chaplains, wvfrc.org. Check it out. And uh, is there a way for folks that are in that area to get a hold of you through that website? Yeah, so all cool. the contact info is right there through the website and on the Facebook page too. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Alright. Okay, well I'm going to shut this off because I think we've
we've gone a little a little while here and uh, look for us Steve just today this morning text me and let me know that we are on Facebook now apparently so just look up uh, thin line believers on Facebook we're on Instagram as usual uh, we're not super active on there but you can you can find our uh, how to how to find our podcast and everything else we're on Spotify iTunes what have you uh, I'm told that if you get on iTunes and give us a good rating that words word gets out so if you're a Apple person check that out give us a good rating and in the meantime our email thinlinebelievers at gmail send us your requests prayer requests guest requests whatever you got all right take care